This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. Today, we're going to look at the opening words of an eyewitness to the most important event in human history. That is the coming into history of none other than God himself in the person of Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ. The testimony that we're going to be listening to is in the form of a letter that John, the disciple of Jesus, who became a follower of Jesus as a very young man, who was a fisherman from Galilee, along with some other fishermen from Galilee in the same town, really. John became a follower of Jesus and was the only one of Jesus' disciples that accompanied him all the way to the foot of the cross. In human terms, he was Jesus' best friend while Jesus was on earth and was part of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John and was probably the last of the apostles to die. John was the only apostle who did not die a martyr's death. He wasn't executed in some fashion. He died in his sleep. However, like all the other apostles throughout his life, from time to time, he suffered tremendous physical punishment at the hands of persecutors for his clear testimony about something. One of the most important statements I've ever heard in my life was at the close of Andy Stanley's book, How Good is Good Enough, to remind us of the importance of what the gospel message really is. He said, remember, the apostles were not killed because of what they believed. The apostles were killed because of what they said they saw. And so this concept of the fact that these men, the apostles, primarily because they were eyewitnesses to the real fact that God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what the gospel is all about. God has entered history, actually entered time-space history, walked around in it, and changed it for us, and changed the terms by which we are aligned with reality and with life itself. Now, from the beginning, from the moment the resurrection occurred and immediately after the ascension of Jesus and the church was birthed and commissioned, these men went about proclaiming that good news. And we'll get into the essence of it and the substance of it as we look at this letter. But today we're just going to look at the first opening verses because they set the tone for this eyewitness testimony and how it is so important to us today. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So this is the opening lines of a letter that John wrote, probably to Christians in Asia Minor, and he is elderly at the time. The 
temple in Jerusalem has already fallen in 70 AD, and many of his countrymen, the Jewish people, have been dislocated. And he finds himself probably at Ephesus, finishing up the ending years of his ministry. Now, John wrote the Gospel of John, which testifies to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He has written three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And then he also wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. So he had a very long career spanning from being a very young man as a actual eyewitness follower of Jesus all the way into his 80s when he passed away. Now, this pastoral epistle has a very important emphasis to it. And in it, he is probably refuting an error that is floating around, but he's also addressing some issues that perennially come up in Christianity and in human interrelationship. In John's day, there was a rising new movement, philosophical slash religious kind of movement called Gnosticism. The word comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. This group of people said that the way you enter into maturity mentally and spiritually is through special knowledge, and there were secrets to be kept and all kinds of stuff. But it was basically built upon a Greek concept of the fact that matter was evil, and so therefore, by extension, our bodies are evil, which doesn't mean necessarily evil in the moral sense, but just evil in the sense that it it was imperfect and that it was decaying and that kind of stuff, and that the thing that was real was the ideal or the spiritual reality behind all material things. So when the preachers of the gospel came along declaring that God had become a human being, that threw their world, their, their philosophical mental world, into absolute turmoil. What are we going to do with this concept that God became material, that he materialized as a human being? And so two schools of thought rose up to kind of counter this Christian message because the, the, the biblical message is that the earth is God's gift to us. It's not evil. It can be used for evil purposes. It is subject to decay because of our sin and the fall of man in the garden. But matter in and of itself isn't evil. The created universe is not evil. And, and our physical bodies aren't evil either in and of themselves. They can be used for evil purpose just like they can be used for good purpose. And so Jesus comes in time-space history and assumes human form via the virgin birth so that God might enter into and redeem all of human life, including the created order. I don't have time to go into the whole biblical theology of the redemption of creation through Christ Jesus, but it nevertheless is a cardinal part of the Christian doctrine. We believe in a whole world. We believe in human beings, you know, being made whole, etc., etc. And where God is in the process through what Jesus Christ has done in bringing that to pass. Now, these two forms of Gnosticism, one was called Docetic Gnosticism, which comes from the Greek word docet, and I'm not a Greek scholar. These are things I've just studied that meant that from the Greek word docet, which means to appear. And so what they did with the idea that Jesus was a human being was that they just said, well, he looked like a human being. He, he would be what we would call today a hologram. When he walked around, if he walked on soft earth, he wouldn't have left any footprints. What they saw was a very 
powerful emanation, but there wasn't any real person there. He was a spirit. He was God, but he, he wasn't really a tangible, real human being. Well, that's silly. And John, in that words we just read, said, no, no, that's not the case. We actually touched him. We fellowshiped him. We touched him with our hands. We walked with this guy. We talked with this guy. We ate with this guy. We wept with this guy. We hugged this guy. He was real. He was real in his life. He was real in his death. He was real after the resurrection. After the resurrection, we again, we touched him. He appeared to us many times over a 40-day period. We actually saw this guy. He's a physical being as well as the eternal Son of God. And we'll get into the ramifications of an eternal being also in just a little bit and the doctrine of the incarnation, what that means as far as understanding the reality of all things. Second group were called the Serinthian Gnostics, and they believed that matter was evil. Our bodies are truly evil, and so therefore what you do with the body doesn't make any difference. So, so the uh, docetic Gnostics had a tendency to be very ascetic and to be very hard on the physical and to deny things and live a very restricted kind of life, restricting what we eat, what we drink, that kind of stuff. The Serinthians went just the opposite self. Now, I'm not, I didn't say Corinthians, I said Serinthians. They went just the opposite, which would be licentiousness, which is, okay, if the bodies are evil and the soul is good, and our souls are saved by grace through faith in Christ, then, you know, we can do whatever we want to with our bodies. We can commit sexual sin, we can engage in unlimited drunkenness, we can do all kinds of stuff. It doesn't matter. Well, that's not true either. That is a horrific imbalance. And John writes his letter to correct that kind of nonsense. No, that kind of lifestyle will bring God's judgment. It will also bring upon us an early death. And it brings about sorrow and disease and all kinds of stuff. The libertine life, they proclaim it as liberty, but it is nothing but. It is slavery in the extreme. We see it in extreme forms today, in different kinds of sexual addictions and in drug abuse and all kinds of stuff. So these misconceptions have modern ideas. I don't have time to go into them and illustrate them, but he, he wrote this epistle to correct some of that and to address it to people who were believers in Jesus Christ, people who had professed faith that they were convinced that it was true, that God had become a human being in the person of Christ, and that he had lived a perfect life, humanly speaking, he had lived a perfect life and had then died on a cross for our sins died on the cross for the sins of mankind and that he had been subsequently risen from the dead physically spiritually we had risen from the dead and so we have triumph over death through faith in christ through being convinced that this good news account is really really true rg lee a great pastor of yesteryear at bellevue baptist church in memphis tennessee described jesus this way and i quote jesus was the only man who ever had a heavenly father, but no heavenly mother, who had an earthly mother, but no earthly father, who was older than his mother, and who was as old as his father. So in this epistle, just like in his gospel, John presents Jesus as an eternal, co-equal part of the Godhead. Now, it's difficult for us to get our brain around a unified deity, a single deity, a single God who is three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that aspect of God that we call God the Son is that 
aspect of God, which became the person we know as Jesus of Nazareth. All right. But he was a real person. He had to be a human being in order to die for our sins. He had to be God in order to live the sinless life and for his sinless life to have universal application. He had to be both God and man. And his life career, his death and his resurrection were all prophesied in the Old Testament. And the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all bear witness to the fact that what happened when Jesus was here on earth was exact. Those prophecies were fulfilled. Some 60 specific prophecies were fulfilled and they were eyewitnesses to it. Now, every generation has come along and attacked the historical veracity of the gospel, but the historical veracity of the scriptures and extra-biblical mentioning of Jesus has made it very, very clear that there's no reason to doubt the historical validity of the record given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts as being a real, live historical record of things that happened and are legitimate, legal, eyewitness accounts that would stand up in any court of law. Also, that the epistles that we have were all written, with the exception of John's letters, prior to 70 AD, and are very early witnesses to the truth of what is presented about Jesus in the gospel. So, Jesus Christ comes along and lets us see the fact that the first cause, the unmoved mover of the philosophers, is a very personal God who loves us and has now come to save us from our sins and to save us from ourselves. From the very beginning, humanity has pulled every trick out of the bag of philosophy and religion in an attempt to bridge the seemingly infinite chasm between man and God. But now, says John, that chasm has been bridged by Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. John implies here in these opening words that it is possible that we have fellowship with God by believing that these things are true through faith in Christ and that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no fellowship with God. And when we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with each other. Jesus, when he comes into our lives, when we believe in him, brings forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, eternal life in the writings of the New Testament is not just life in terms of the length of life. In other words, I'm going to like live forever. But it is also a Greek term, which meant the quality of life. It is not just that you will live eternally when you die, but right now you have eternal life if you are a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus, if God's life dwells in you. So here in Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the solution to the problem of how sinful people can ever know God and be rightly related to him. Now, as human beings, after we become believers in Jesus, we still struggle with issues like obeying God, issues like sin, issues like getting along with each other and particularly in the fellowship of the saints in our churches, to be blunt about it. And so John, as a pastor, really, a pastor of pastors in the Ephesian area, is writing also to tell us how to get along, how to show 
that we have fellowship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, how we have fellowship with God through believing in Jesus Christ, and because the Holy Spirit indwells us, how we then have fellowship with each other, because these two things go together hand in glove. But it starts with this solid foundation of believing in the incarnate Word of God. John used a term which is translated in English as word. It's the Greek word logos. Now, it is the corresponding term to a Jewish concept, which I'm not going to go into. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. But what he's saying is, is that when God got ready to do anything, God the Father initiates, God the Son carries it out, and John tells us in his gospel, and here by implication he reinforces it, that Jesus is that person of God who carries out God's will as it relates to us. And then there's God the Holy Spirit, the omnipresent person of God who can literally indwell us after we have faith in God's finished work in Jesus Christ. It is a mysterious thing. But John said it's not so mysterious as to be unreal. And the fact that Jesus became a human being and ran around with him and his friends for three years proves that God really does love us here in time-space history. And he means to be our friend, and he means to be our father in the full sense of that word, and he means to redeem us from our sins, and he means for us to have a fuller life now and an eternal life in fellowship with him to come throughout eternity. That's what the good news means and celebrates. In the meantime, then we are to draw upon the truth of these things to make our lives fuller, richer, more meaningful. Also to keep us from error. The world just didn't happen by chance. Everything that has been caused to exist has to have a cause. Every effect has to have a cause, except the first cause, all right? If anything exists at all, okay, and there are a lot of things that exist, if anything exists, then something has to exist of necessity. That's something that exists of necessity, that is, in and of itself, apart from creation, is God himself. And what John is saying is, is that God himself is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the way we know that is because God became real to us in time-space history in the person of Christ, walked around in our world for 30-some-odd years, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and then we are eyewitnesses to that fact. Therefore, we go back to the Old Testament revelations of what it says about God, how it says God's actions with us, and then the New Testament witness in the gospel and the letters of the New Testament all give us more information about our walk with God. But there are always going to be people, as he warns us about, that are going to be coming along trying to distort this message and by distorting it to destroy it. So if you want to have fellowship with God, then the way you have fellowship with God is through believing, being convinced that it's true, that Jesus Christ is God in human form, that he died on a cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, that he is the way you get to God. He is exactly what Jesus said he was. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And so he 
opens this wonderful epistle up by saying, we, that is me and my fellow apostles, we were, are eyewitnesses to this fact. Jesus, the man, Jesus, the God-man, is a fact. You can believe in him. You can trust him. And he will save you from your sins and from yourself. We have eyewitness testimony about that. May God richly bless you.